welcome to the Speaking of Women's Health podcast. We're into episode and season two. Thanks so much for joining me, your host, Dr. Holly Thacker, back in the Sunflower House for this brand new year. And I'm glad that you're joining me for this uh, podcast. Um, It's going to be an interesting one. I'm actually going to talk about um, why I think the medical profession has somewhat failed midlife women's health and why it's actually getting a resurgence. And we're going to have some exciting announcements at the Cleveland Clinic Center for Specialized Women's Health in the new year, because we have been focused on midlife women's health for decades. And I, as you probably know, have started the Specialized Women's Health Fellowship. It's now 27 years old, because that's how old my youngest son is, Grayson. I remember bringing him in, breastfeeding a couple days postpartum. I couldn't even sit down and I had a bladder infection. But the the leaders at the clinic wanted to meet with me to talk about a fellowship because there was so much interest. Uh, And people from around the country were coming to rotate with me because they really liked uh, someone who had expertise in internal medicine, adult medical problems, gynecology, hormones, endocrinology, osteoporosis, sexual function. Um, the field of genomics was really taking off and we were getting better and better at identifying women at high risk for breast and ovarian cancers, as well as other cancers, which can affect reproductive health and hormonal health, and sometimes, uh, are associated with earlier menopauses surgically with removing of the ovaries and tubes and uterus, uh, because that will reduce breast and ovarian cancer in those gene carriers. So it was kind of a conglomeration. And uh, I remember sitting down with Andy Fishleader, Dr. Fishleader. He was the first dean of our medical school. He was also the head of education at that time because it was before we opened the tuition-free Cleveland Clinic Learner College of Medicine. And he said, well, do you want to start a one-year fellowship or a two-year fellowship? A one-year fellowship will just train people to, you know, be able to be clinically active. Um, But a two-year fellowship probably will be able to give them the skills for leadership and scholarship and to be national leaders. So I picked the latter, even though knowing that people getting out of uh, medical school and residency have a lot of debt. And I'm really glad we picked the two-year training track because I have trained so many fabulous physicians who are now leaders around the country. Uh, But there certainly is a need for shorter training because not everyone can become an expert in the most uh, complicated situations with menopause and osteoporosis and hormones and separating out how much is aging, how much is hormones how much is other medical conditions that may or may not have been diagnosed in midlife women. And this comes at a time that women are potentially still raising their children. Uh, Maybe they have grandchildren. Uh, They could easily have aging parents that they're taking care of. They're dealing with new medical problems themselves, um, facing their own mortality, and so many things converging at once. Uh, And so it's exciting for me to also not only have successfully run this fellowship, 
uh, treating uh, and training experts for the last 27 years. But also, it's been exciting for me, um, starting around the time of the pandemic, uh, we started meeting by Zoom so much more. And now it seems like even though, of course, all restrictions have thankfully all been lifted quite a long time ago, thank you very much. I mean, almost four years of some bad memories. Uh, It has ushered in some good things. Um, It's easier to connect virtually. Our patients certainly like virtual visits some of the time when appropriate, when they don't need examinations or bone densities or mammograms or physical exams for pap smears with my wonderful nurse practitioner, Uh, Dana Leslie, who we've had on the podcast, and we'll have to have again. In fact, we just hired a new uh, women's health nurse practitioner, Alex, who uh, just got married. So we'll announce her last name when we interview her this season, hopefully. And so I worked with other physician leaders around the country to write grants to educate physicians and nurse practitioners and physician assistants and pharmacists, any any clinician involved in healthcare to learn more about menopause. And part of this has been through another nonprofit besides Speaking of Women's Health uh, that I do pro bono work with is AHAH, Advancing Health After Hysterectomy. And I, I know a lot of my patients have heard me talk about advancing health after hysterectomy because estrogen is so misunderstood. And if you don't have a uterus or an endometrium and you're over 50 or menopausal, you should be on estrogen. There's really essentially hardly any absolute contraindications. And estrogen, yes, estrogen reduces the risk of breast cancer, even in women into their 70s. And transdermal, putting it on the skin as opposed to taking it orally, uh, does also uh, not increase any risk of blood clot because oral hormones um, can go through the stomach and liver and affect enterohepatic circulation and affect coagulation uh, proteins. So a transdermal patch, you know, my goal is to get physicians and nurses and people around the country aware that if you don't have a uterus or endometrium, like severe endometriosis, um, or active estrogen positive cancer that's not been treated yet, pretty much you can prescribe an estrogen patch for those patients. They don't need to travel distances to see a menopause expert, wait six months or longer to see someone. And so uh, working with Dr. Phil Sorrell, who is one of my mentors, um, he's a emeritus professor at Yale in both OBGYN and psychiatry. And he and his beloved late wife, Lorna, who was a nurse, uh, were quite the innovators and trailblazers at Yale, did a lot of work in female sexual function, uh, dedicated their time to educating patients and the healthcare clinicians. Uh, He was getting people together from an interdisciplinary uh, perspective long before I was on the medical um, uh, scene. And... um, He's been a great mentor and friend, and he's also done a lot of exciting research on testosterone and sexual function, and we'll we'll dive into depth in that this season. Uh, We also, of course, last season covered so much on menopause and hormone therapy. If you uh, didn't hear me podcasting an updated version of my book, The Cleveland Clinic 
guide to menopause. You can listen chapter by chapter, and it's all updated. We've also done uh, sections on non-hormonal alternatives. I mean, hormones, women don't have to take uh, hormones. Um, But working with Dr. Sorrell and other leaders from around the country, many of who I interviewed on last season's free medical CME podcast on the new candy neuron inhibitors, non-hormonal, elegant uh, treatments to block hot flashes, Um, as well as some of my graduates who've gone on to have stellar careers. Um, We've done free CME, and you can access that, certainly if you're a healthcare clinician. Even if you're not and you just want to listen to uh, interesting discussions and interviews and scientific presentations on, for instance, I'm a breast cancer survivor. Can I take hormone therapy? I have osteoporosis. Oh, I'm worried about heart disease. What's the latest on hormones versus statins? Uh, What's the latest on testosterone and sexual function? Um, How should a clinician approach the midlife woman? Even if you're not a clinician yourself, but you're on the other end and you're preparing for your office visit, um, these are great video uh, presentations and you can get them via menopauselearning.com. Uh, you can also go on speakingofwomenshealth.com, which is the nonprofit that I'm the executive director for, and um, search under continuing medical education and medical lectures. And we certainly post breaking health news on our website, free treatment guidebooks, social media links to all the usual social media. We have recipes and health tips. If you don't get our free monthly newsletter, even if you don't like getting email, just you know once a month with a health tip, uh, it links to our website, and we push out you know what we think is um, some uh, seasonal and monthly related you know information. Um, so, for instance, in February, where we go over a lot of heart health, that's Red Dress Day, and we like to highlight that heart disease is, is the number one cause of death in women. March, you know, colorectal cancer screening, which we're doing um, in younger and younger people because of the increased rates of colorectal cancer, and it can be really quite devastating. Uh, and if it affects younger women, it can obviously affect fertility and also um, flip them into earlier menopause with chemotherapy. Chemotherapy really from any type of uh, malignancy. So these monthly health tips and newsletters help me stay connected to uh, all of you as well as give you heads up when we have virtual events because we like to do a lot of um, education in different formats um, digitally. And as part of me working with Advancing Health After Hysterectomy and other national uh, leaders in menopause um, and Dr. Sorrell, I'm so excited to announce that we got another grant (laughs) to do more free education because we realize that all of our listeners cannot necessarily come to the Cleveland Clinic Center for Specialized Women's Health to get expert midlife women's health care. And we want to push this information out across the United States, even, of course, worldwide. We in Cleveland have uh, been a hub for menopause experts. In fact, I think we have the highest concentration of menopause society 
credentialed experts in the country and certainly at the Cleveland Clinic, all of my uh, fellows as part of their requirement for graduation become certified menopause experts. And um, we are encouraging several more uh, physicians and APPs at the Cleveland Clinic who are not directly related to the Center for Specialized uh, Women's Health, which is like a tertiary kind of referral center. A lot of people who come get referred in by their physician or have already. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. to lots of other doctors uh, for evaluations. And uh, we are extending this education and training uh, because the demand is there. And I think menopause has had its time in that finally, uh, we're going on now like uh, 20, almost 22 years post the Women's Health Initiative where a very scientific study was unscientifically communicated and it caused shockwaves around the world and so many women threw away their hormone therapy and we saw death rates increase. Uh, We saw um, the internet being used for kind of health uh, scare porn, unfortunately. And so any therapy, anything someone does or doesn't do has risk and benefits and we really try to outline and give women this information to empower them to be strong, be healthy, and be in charge. And um, that's our motto at Speaking of Women's Health. And you are listening to the Speaking of Women's Health podcast with your host, Dr. Holly Thacker, in the Sunflower House. And we are talking all things menopause, hormonal therapy, education of expert physicians, as well as just um, more general information, getting to many different specialists. We want to reach cardiologists and endocrinologists and orthopedic surgeons and family medicine uh, physicians, uh, anyone who uh, touches and deals with midlife women's health. Psychiatrist. I mean, there's exciting research that women's health psychiatrists have done in terms of uh, estrogen and mental health. So wherever these specialties cross, we want to raise the bar of education and treatment to women. So when I see women in my office, and I've seen a, a couple that are just so poignant to me, um, breaking down crying, like I want to cry with them when they tell me their stories of how they've suffered, how they've been to physician after physician after physician, how they've asked for hormone therapy, how they've told them their life has been so disrupted, whether it's with hot flashes or night sweats or brain fog, or joint pain, 
mood changes, insomnia, um, vaginal dryness, sexual dysfunction, you know, or various combinations of either classical or not so classical menopausal symptoms. And they've been said, oh, honey, this is normal. Oh, you're just getting older. Oh, just live with it. Oh, here's an antidepressant. And certainly antidepressants have their role. They're used um, by psychiatrists, you know, along with cognitive behavioral therapy and lifestyle changes and improving sleep and dealing with nutrition because um, food is medicine and food can affect your mood. Uh, We covered a lot of that uh, in last season. In fact, one of my more favorite podcasts is Why Women Crave Chocolate. (laughs) And I refer... Uh, my patients to listen to that, not so much to tell them to eat chocolate per se, but to let them know that hormones, foods, physical activity, many things can influence the um, neurotransmitters in the brain. And so sometimes women think they have hormonal deficiencies and they actually have issues with their neurotransmitters. And So that gets me back to talking about these poignant patients who ask me, doctor, I went to my gynecologist, I went to my family physician, I went and saw an endocrinologist, I um, visited a nurse practitioner in women's health, I talked and, and researched and asked them, and no one would give me a prescription. Why is that? And so I certainly cannot speak for anyone other than myself, but I do have many years of clinical practice. And it's what's driven me to educate leaders in the field, but also I've realized that not everyone's going to do a fellowship. And that's why I've been so fortunate the last four years to work with this consortium of national experts to write grants to do free, unbranded, unrestricted medical education in this field. on all the different alternatives and we've covered aspects like functional medicine as well not just necessarily pharmacologic hormone therapy which is safe and effective and and uh, indicated and associated with a longer lifespan for many women um, as well as non-hormonal options for women who don't want or need hormone therapy uh, or for that small percentage of women who do have an active contraindication to hormones so it's not one size fits all We've really tried to work hard to individualize um, therapy. And certainly the billion-dollar cottage industry of compounding hormones and pellets, which are not FDA-approved, which give very high doses of um, many times testosterone, which can be virilizing and uh, masculinizing to women, may give them a burst of energy and hormones and an increase in sex drive and they feel like they could take on the world Uh, and these practitioners who do this charge hundreds of dollars and many times they're not doing any preventive care they're not giving them counseling they're not giving them free unbranded health information like we do at speaking of women's health they're simply collecting money And then when it gets either too expensive or the person starts getting a deeper voice or growing chin whiskers or losing hair on the top of their head, um, that sometimes prompts them to to come in and see us. And then we're left with a short office period of time and um, 
dealing with someone who's got lots and lots and lots of problems. And so we want to really minimize and prevent this. So this gets me back to these poignant patients who ask me, doctor, you know, why wouldn't they prescribe or why wouldn't they refer or why was I denied this or why didn't I see you 10 years ago or two years ago, whatever the time frame may be. And so, like I said, I can't speak for other physicians, but I think that it's a conglomeration of a lot of things. Um, first of all, menopause is a natural life event. And so, you know, doctors have been criticized for medicalizing normal life events, uh, you know, doing too many C-sections as opposed to natural childbirth. You know, uh, of course, we now are integrating midwives and doulas into the birthing process. Uh, but, you know, previously, w- women, one in 50, would die in childbearing. Uh, so it's nice that we do have the medical backup. Um, and when I talk to younger women, I say, you know, yes, get education, uh, get empowerment, uh, work with a midwife if you're low risk, try to stay out of the hospital until you're really in active labor, try to minimize uh, going for laying on your back and getting pain medicines or getting Pitocin and having severe pain and getting the epidural and, you know, one thing leading to the other that can increase, you know, the risk of C-sections. Um, so C-sections can obviously be life-saving to the baby and to the mother. And um, we want a healthy baby and a healthy mother. And all women should feel empowered and blessed uh, to bring new life into the world, even if they need medical assistance. Uh, so I do see younger women interested in childbearing, interested in the whole delivery process and lactation. And um, women also uh, wanting to know and being educated about all of their options about contraception. And we've had prior podcasts on on those topics that you can go back to and search on our our website. Depending on what podcast app you listen to, um, I haven't necessarily seen a good search feature. Like uh, before the end of our first season, we had already posted 75 podcasts with 20,000 downloads. And there's not an easy way other than screening, you know, or scrolling with your phone, you know, through the different names. But you can go on our website and... um, search for different topics um when so so in terms of women educating themselves i see that but somehow after 40 or 45 women think oh we're done with all of that we can now just cruise (laughs) but you need anticipatory guidance about perimenopause and menopause and you may feel great up until the point in time of your last period or you may start getting terrorized with perimenopause, which we now know is actually more symptomatic and worse sometimes than menopause itself. And so it's very individual and busy women who are possibly working or caring for their, their families and communities, which is a full-time job uh, for Benny. Uh, raising children, um, Dealing with aging parents, as I mentioned, maybe don't have the time to just like look towards the future. But I do think that women themselves, as well as all healthcare clinicians, should encourage a woman, um, especially at that annual visit, hey, here's some resources. Um, Do you know anything about perimenopause or menopause? Do you know about your mother or sister's history? Uh, Is there osteoporosis in your family? 
have you ever had any hormonally associated mood problems like severe PMS or PMDD or postpartum depression? Um, Do you already have other sleep problems? Because those things can be triggers or uh, red flags that a woman might have a harder time with menopause. That being said, you could be very healthy and fit and have an excellent diet and be a regular exerciser uh, and do a lot of things that are health promoting and anti-aging. However, once you lose your source of estrogen, a whole cascade of problems can certainly, bam, hit you. And to not be prepared for that and then to have to wait several months possibly to get an, an, an appointment can be frustrating. So I always tell people to plan ahead. It's always better to be able to cancel appointments in advance than try to scurry to meet the appointments. But there are women who are educated and there are women who have done that anticipatory guidance and who have seen their healthcare clinician and do come armed and ready uh, and still can't get the treatment. And those women are the ones that, you know, it just breaks my heart because they've suffered and they've really been responsible and been proactive and wanted to live our motto of be strong and be healthy and be in charge. And so women ask me, why is that? Why does that happen? Um, And I respect my colleagues and medicine is a very tough mistress, tough, tough life. It's, it's a lot of dedication. It takes a lot of training. um, And we only know as much as we know when we know it. Um, And so I don't want to disparage any colleagues that I respect, but I think historically going through the field of medicine and the field of OBGYN is focused on obstetrics, on delivering babies, on the surgical aspects of women's health, not preventive care, not evaluating or treating medical issues that fall outside of OBGYN. So I think that some women um, expect their Uh, OBGYN to be an expert on delivering babies and doing hysterectomies and doing cancer screenings of the cervix um, and being an expert surgeon to deal with pelvic prolapse or gynecologic cancers. And um, so they're going to someone who doesn't have the interest or the expertise. And the other thing I would say is Doing surgical procedures or delivering babies, doing endometrial ablations, which we in the menopause field are not fans of because it makes it more difficult to give hormone therapy and evaluate abnormal bleeding, which sometimes leads later to a hysterectomy. Those are more lucrative areas, okay, than um, having to spend cognitive time and having someone in the office uh, who hasn't even done any basic Uh, preparation or education and wanting just basic education in the field of perimenopause and menopause. So, So that's a financial reality. The other option is you might say, well, then what about the medical people or my primary care person? Or maybe I go to a woman's health nurse practitioner who's doing my annuals. But there is a lot of time demands. And so if you come to an office visit expecting you want your annual visit, 
you want to talk about hormone therapy, you uh, have issues that might not even relate to what the nurse practitioner is dealing with, like you're depressed or you want them to be your psychological counselor or you've got knee pain, you know, and you're bringing like 10 different concerns to a visit that that person doesn't have the time, uh, especially if they're an employed physician and they're not in the field of concierge medicine, or um, they don't have the uh, expertise. So it really behooves you, like you make your eye appointment, which you should do yearly if you're over 50. Generally, you should be seeing your dentist for preventive care twice a year. Um, You know, my husband saw his eye doctor for a routine eye exam, and then a month later, Uh, developed an eye issue and he just wanted it handled over the phone he's like I just saw you a month ago and I said to him that was a preventive visit you didn't have these symptoms you can't expect the ophthalmologist to prescribe eye drops maybe it's an allergy or maybe it's an infection or maybe it's an irritation so I know that people are busy and um, the older you get the more appointments you need just like many people need to see a, a dermatology or skincare person for skin cancer checks once a year. So if you're already seeing your primary care physician, that person may or may not have any training at all whatsoever so, um, in, in the field of menopause or hormone therapy. And generally speaking, the bikini areas, the breast, the pelvic area, and the hormones kind of scare them if they've only been kind of trained in the male model. So many women have a primary care physician and they have a woman's health person, be it an OBGYN or be it a woman's health nurse practitioner. And for many of them, especially if their clinician is educated and they're not a complicated patient, can certainly get their midlife women's health needs taken care of. But if you're not offered options, or if you're seeing someone who just specializes in menopause, meaning they're anti-aging clinic and they're not even going to do exams or refer you to someone to do an exam and they're just going to try to sell you on pellets or the O-shot or expensive cash pay lasers, um, or there are these weight loss spas that are like fly by night using compounded uh, weight loss medicines, which who knows uh, what the efficacy and safety of that is. I mean, these people will be glad to see you and take your money, um, but it might not be the right the right treatment for you. So a lot of it's not getting ready for it and just blowing it off and saying it's natural. I mean, lots of things are natural. Death is natural. I mean, hurricanes can be natural. Right on gas, which you don't want in your house because it increases lung cancer, can be natural. Um, And some of it is on the clinicians because they are rewarded for faster visits and higher reimbursements. And I think that's why we've seen this explosion of concierge medicine. And several of my graduates from the fellowship have gone in this area. And we've interviewed uh, Dr. Fifik is terrific last year, who I wanted to join me as a partner and actually help me run the fellowship. And she went into uh, concierge uh, practice because um, that's the only way to have the time and to meet patients' needs in some situations. And then finally, one of the other areas that I think uh, is why menopausal care hasn't um, 
been a particularly popular area for doctors and nurse practitioners and physicians assistants to really focus on and specialize in is really women themselves. Um, you know, bad things happen to all of us eventually. After age 50, we're all going to die, as I've been known to tell my patients, and their eyes just like, I do it to get people's attention to focus on their health and realize that it's bonus years after 50. I mean, bio- biologically, we're here to reproduce after we're done reproducing and raising our children. As I say, biology's done with us. So, but you're not done with yourself, hopefully, and and neither is your family and community. So it takes a lot more work to stay healthy. And so I've had women who've been on hormone therapy, skin's beautiful, back is straight, no osteoporosis, brain is sharp, no severe active cardiovascular disease. And then eventually something happens, cancer, a blood clot, heart attack or stroke. I mean, these things happen. Um, especially with advanced age. And they're like, you had me on these hormones for 35 years. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, and look how good you've done and how independent you've been and you've stayed out of a nursing home and uh, you've had a long life. And so, you know, doctors don't want to be sued. And uh, even though we have 50 years of research that shows hormone therapy does, does not increase the risk of, of cancer deaths, and it does when used appropriately, especially within the 10 years of menopause, um, prolong life from reducing several chronic diseases, including cardiovascular disease and diabetes and osteoporosis and neuropsychiatric problems, and maybe also even slightly reducing colorectal uh, cancer uh, mortality. They're like washing their hands of it. Um, So it's really a team process. It is challenging. For many people, it's not. They breeze through it. They don't have any hot flashes. Maybe they need a little local treatment to keep the vagina and bladder healthy. That depends on their adrenal function. Um, Half of women have osteoporosis, and we have great treatments for bone that aren't hormonal. Um, So it's such a fascinating area because not everyone's wired the same. Um, Not everyone has the same adrenal function or ovarian reserve or um, metabolism. And then finally, the other thing that makes this field challenging, and I think it makes it challenging for people that are strictly trained in OBGYN and who don't have really a deep background in internal medicine is, uh, you know, evaluating and treating osteoporosis is, is complicated and it's lifestyle and hormonal and nutritional and secondary causes and has effects from endocrinology and musculoskeletal problems, uh, cardiovascular disease, um, and understanding that and how to do cardiovascular risk assessment. And there's a lot of different conditions that mimic uh, midlife women's health problems. Like I am seeing a rash of sleep apnea uh, and the treatment's not just nasal CPAP, even though that can be wonderful. Weight loss is so important and is always a perennial issue. Um, there's dental treatments. Uh, one of our popular podcasts, uh, in the first season was on oral health and, uh, the dentist role in, uh, sleep and breathing issues and how you breathe affects your oral, uh, hygiene. So, um, if you haven't listened to some of those podcasts, um, those are good ones to, to refresh, but wrapping up, um, I'm excited to announce that we're going to have more education to educate people. And if you're listening to this, maybe 
you're in Montana and you're not going to be coming to the Cleveland Clinic, you can let your healthcare clinician know we have free CME and they can get empowered. And I think by doing your homework and coming prepared and knowing the information uh, and also not expecting everything to be addressed in just one visit, go for your annual visit, see your, see your general uh, practitioner, um, separate out what it is that you want to, to be evaluated. And then as a woman, understand the different domains of symptoms, hot flashes, bone health, genitourinary health. Those are like three domains that we want to teach um, healthcare clinicians who aren't necessarily experts in menopause. And certainly we want to continue to train experts in menopause because if you're a cancer survivor or you've had a blood clot or you've had an organ transplant or you have multiple complicated problems or severe autoimmune or rheumatologic conditions, uh, those women who have higher risk and might need more um, intensive or advanced um, options as opposed to just a basic estrogen patch if you're a woman with a hysterectomy who has hot flashes and a little bone thinning. Um, you know, there's all different different presentations. And we are so happy to be here for you at Speaking of Women's Health to empower you to be strong and be healthy and be in charge. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating. Share it with your friends, family, neighbors, your physician, your nurse practitioner. And if you don't already subscribe, you can hit the follow or subscribe button. It's free, no cost. If you want to support our nonprofit and the work that I'm doing and our Center for Specialized Women's Health is doing, you can go on speakingofwomenshealth.com and hit the donate button. We much appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you back in the Sunflower House again.